From struggle to stardom to addiction to darkness to redemption, Brian Head Welch has been through it all and come out the other side. Join Brian on August 25th at the legendary Nashville Palace for the Nashville Rockin' Pod Expo 2 for a revealing discussion on stage about his life and upcoming documentary, Loud Crazy Love. Brian will also be signing autographs and taking pictures with fans and recording with many of the podcasts on site. Admission starts at $10. This event will likely sell out. Get your tickets now at www.rockandpod.eventbrite.com. So yes, check out Nashville Rock and Pod Expo 2 for this revealing on-stage discussion hosted by, yes, myself, Joshua Toomey of the Talk To Me podcast, on stage for an hour with Brian Head Welch of Corn talking about his upcoming documentary and so much more. So make sure and check all of your favorite podcasts out at Nashville Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee, August 25th. Tickets at rockinpod.eventbrite.com. Links will be in the show notes. Let's do the show. This is Talk To Me. The official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore to hair metal. This is Talk To Me. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net. Make sure to head over to Metal Nexus right now as you're listening to this podcast to check out all of their news, reviews, interviews, and the archives of the Talk To Me podcast. Got a great doubleheader for you today. I have an amazing chat with Morgan Lander of Kitty, talking about the Origins Evolutions DVD, talking about the, honestly, the origins and evolutions of Kitty. Uh, we talk a lot about the uh, formation of the band, the band through the years. We break down some of the band members. It's a great chat, about an hour-long chat with Morgan Lander of Kitty. And then I start this episode out with a uh, quick chat with our good friend Matt Carp from the Head for the Barricade podcast and also the author of New Metal Resurgence. Make sure and check that book out. It is out now. Make sure to uh, to go and find Matt Carp on the Facebook and get a book directly from him autographed by the great Matt Carp. So a lot going on this week, so let's go ahead and jump into it. The news of the week, Vinnie Vincent still not going to be at the Rock and Pot Expo. Uh, so much back and forth between Vinnie Vincent and Chris Sinzak. I personally think it's hilarious. And, uh, you know, uh, and from everything that I've seen, I've seen behind the scenes stuff. I believe uh, every single word Chris Sinzak has to say. So if you're if you're interested in what's going on with the Rock and Pod Expo, check out the latest couple of episodes of the Decibel Geek podcast. Let Chris Sinzak tell you out of the uh, horse's mouth himself and let you know what's going on. But uh, I, I can't believe how much people were talking about my comments about Vinnie Vincent last week. Normally with this podcast, I get a whole lot of messages about, you know, what the guests say, but not a lot of times do you hear what uh, people talk about what I have to say. So uh, thanks to everyone that's been checking out the podcast and uh, everyone that checked out my rant about Vinnie Vincent last week. It's pretty funny, man. I went back and listened to it. Um, I got the news about the Vinnie Vincent stuff right before I started recording. So all those emotions were raw and real. And I just, I just, you know, let him know how I feel on the podcast airwaves you know, from my microphone to his earbuds. 
And uh, man, this has been fun. I'm a little bit burnt out on the Vinnie Vincent news, honestly. I'm kind of glad it's over, and uh, I'm glad we're moving on. You know, Brian Head Welch is going to be at the Rock and Pot Expo, and our good friend Scott Bowling over there at uh, Good Company with Bowling. Make sure you're checking out his show on YouTube. He's got so many great interviews with uh, Head from Corn, the guys in Seven Dust, uh, Stuck Mojo episodes with Bones, Corey Lowry. He has an upcoming interview with Rich Ward, upcoming interview with Eddie Trunk. And so much other, so much more. I cannot wait to meet him in person at the Rock and Pod Expo, August 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. So make sure you're checking out his show on YouTube. Good company with bowling. Let him know I sent you. So let's go ahead and jump right into the episode this week, guys. We've got a whole lot going on. So we're going to do Rob Rivera's pick from the kit, my talk with Matt Carp, my interview with Morgan Lander, and then I will talk to you once it's all over. See you on the other side. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Rivera from the band Nonpoint, and this is my weekly pick of the kit here on Talk To Me Podcast. Uh, this week, I am going to pick the band Skin Red. Uh, the song is called Nobody. Uh, I'm sure many people have heard this track. Um, Skin Red's been a band that we've been friends with for many, many years. Done numerous tours with those guys. Uh, I've been really, really good friends to the band and, and still out there killing it. Uh, they mainly destroyed over there in Europe, and their fan base in Europe is just amazing. Um, one of my major uh, best memories and major memories that I've had is always playing a video game basketball with Aria and uh, it was just so funny how we'd go back and forth we played every single day and we just became really good friends on that tour and Dan the bass player we became really good friends with him we had a lot of talks about music and just he's they're just amazing musicians and and, and mikey is an incredible guitar player and, and what can you say about benji he's like one of the best front men to ever grace a stage i mean that guy always was full of surprises and and just extremely entertaining and still is and uh but anyway and this is skindred with the song nobody take care Bye. hello there this is benji from the band called skindred this is me mate called dan and he is in skindred too hello <laughs> and we just want to say, talk to me podcast. It's fucking rocking. Keep listening. Keep rocking. Well, the DJ keeps spanning. My song, we come to take over. MC, you better look over your shoulder. Yeah, you know, we are in Make the crowd jump up, crowd get attached, blend up the rag on metal punk hip hop. Unity sound, killer groove, not step. And if it displays us, so this song will survive. Strength and power, I gotta keep them alive. My song, we come to take over. MC, you better look over your shoulder. Yeah, you know, we are the known. Oh, well, no. Spin drag, we in all your area. Bring the rock, cause you know we're superior. Nobody, nobody gets out of life. 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 N
come and them a try flex with it Show them the rock a punk pa Watch them a twist Sting like a scorpion, buzz like a knee Full of fast a fist it a go drop what boy This is what we want yeah. You got to know If you think So we come to take over MC, you better look over your shoulder Yeah, you know, we are all alone Oh, no Skin drag, we're in all your area When we rock out, you know we're superior Yeah, you know we are Oh, I'm a nigga, so I'm a nigga, so I'm a nigga Nobody, nobody gets out of line I'm a nigga, so I'm a nigga, so I'm a nigga Nobody, nobody gets out of line on the line author extraordinaire of the uh, latest book new metal resurgence out now and uh man matt how are you doing sir i'm really good josh thanks for uh having me on the show been listening to this for the last year or so now so it's uh it's pretty awesome to actually be on the show well i mean you did butter me up by putting me in your book so that's pretty much going to get you a guest spot on the uh, on the podcast anytime you want but um just, just kind of going back with the book what made you want to write a book about new metal well, the original Inception, um, I've got the book in front of me here. The, the main new metal book that came out was actually in 2002 by Joel McIver. Yes. New metal, the next generation of rock and punk. And that seems to be the only real sort of uh, highly exposed new metal book. Of course, 2002, um, Papa Roach had only just released Infest. Linkin Park had only just done uh, Hybrid Theory. So all those bands that we now know became global superstars, they were only really coming up at the time and no one really sort of followed up um, in terms of books on that. So about 2016, I thought, let's write a book on about it now, because obviously, as you know, there's so many bands coming through that have those new metal influences. And um, I thought, let's try and get some people involved who are in bands and uh, yeah, um Meigs from Cold Chamber was the first one and I was again that was amazing there because obviously I listened to that guy and the band for years and he spoke openly about his time in Cold Chamber and the good and the bad 
And then it went from there. I got more guests involved and I put the first version of the book out last summer. But after a while, I kind of thought I've, maybe I rushed it a little bit too much in terms of getting it out there. There was so much more content that I could have um, included. So mm-hmm. that's why I've gone back, revised the ver- the, the book. And I'm, I'm actually proud of I was proud of the first version. But I say after a couple of weeks, I was kind of thinking, no, it doesn't quite cut it. So this for me is the definitive version i'd like to call it some sort of encyclopedia of new metal um plenty of information in there and like i said a lot more content compared to the the first version now i know you've got interviews in there but do you also kind of give like a history of new metal in there also i've I've pretty much gone for i've got my own intro and stuff um the main bit is the a to z of the bands um literally all the bands that came up the first time around so there's over a hundred and possibly 120 band biographies of, and, and that's a lot more than there was in the first version as well. Okay. I've got a lot more interviews as well. And then the second half is dedicated to the new breed, all the great bands that are coming up like Dead, Kane Hill, um, my friends Front Street from the Netherlands, bands that you could consider just about sort of fitting that new metal influenced, I guess, um, subgenre in terms of the the contemporary version. Now, something I always talk about on the podcast, and I know that, you know, with a book like this, you know, you're, you're going to be able to kind of uh, echo my sentiments here, but, but, you know, there was a time where new metal was kind of a bad word, but now looking back on it, we've got all the big bands right now currently are, you know, a Slipknot, Five Figure Death Punch, Papa Roach, all those bands that are kind of headlining these festivals now are all from that era of, of new metal and, you know, it's definitely a, and I hate to be like no pun intended, but there definitely has been a resurgence of new metal. Um, you know, what do you think that was? Because, you know, my personal story playing in a new metal band for years and years, I would say I was in, a, I was in Primer 55 and I would kind of get an eye roll or, you know, no one would really care. But now it's like, I say, I mean, I was in that band for a period of time and people are like, oh my God, that's so cool. Loose and blah, blah, blah. Like, like there's a different atmosphere around new metal um what do you think that is yeah i'm not sure i mean obviously the the first time around <clears throat> a lot of the hardcore metal heads and stuff hated it because possibly probably because of the mainstream exposure it it got um loads of albums were getting in the, the billboard charts the uk charts they was topping the album charts and and then yeah it did go away which probably unsurprisingly seems to be that rock and metal have their like metalcore took over from new metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just the fact that a lot of the bands from that time, they, they, they stayed the, you know, they, they kept on going. And although they're not as commercially successful as they used to be, there's still so many people out there that love those bands and they've kind of helped to bring it back. Um, and of course, obviously the new wave of bands like me and yourself, we was fairly young when new metal first come out. So these guys have, obviously gone back and listened to the corns and the limp biscuits because they are still pretty relevant mm. and that's where they've got their influences from to to form these bands and i think one of the main um in terms of the resurgence of new metal there is a hell of a lot of rap rock bands that are out there and rap metal so i think you've got to say that the likes of limp biscuit um are probably big influences on those bands and linkin park of course now, with your background, where did where did you start writing? What uh, you know, when when did you start writing? When did writing a book, you know, kind of come into your uh, 
you know, your thought process, stuff like that? Um, yeah, I mean, for years, I mean, at college, I, tr- I was doing um, a course on publishing. I always wanted to be some form of journalist. Um, music's obviously always been a huge thing for me. So I started writing for websites, Hard Rock Haven, one of the, the bigger ones in America. I did quite a bit from them for a couple of years. Um, and even though it was web-based, web it was great. I was getting good interviews and album reviews, but I really wanted to see my name in print, really. So the main bit there was going to Powerplay Rock and Metal magazine, which is a UK print uh, magazine, which they gave me some, again, good interviews, good uh, reviews. Um, and after a while, I just thought, because I've always wanted to write books, fiction as well, um, two or three novels half-written that are kind of just threw away in the end and I just thought let's write about something that well at least that I think I know about best which is music um and obviously new metal was a big thing for me that's what got me into heavier music Joel McIver's book 2002 so 16 years old it was 14 years old at the time and I thought let's do this let's chronicle new metal from the very beginning all the way up to now um and so, yeah, I started writing that. I did put a small book out called We Own the Night, which was my actual first release, which sort of documented the underground of the hard rock scene in America. Okay. Um, and again, that was um, getting interviews with the likes of uh, Blacklight District, some cool bands, at Arson City, um, Three Years Hollow, Three Pill Morning. Um, so that was my first one. Basically, it's a little project just to see if I could do it, um, self-publish it, see how it came out. And then the the new metal book took over from there. So that is how it's been for the last two years, really. It's pretty much been the new metal resurgence book. All right. So the book's got, you know, like you said earlier, Meigs of Cold Chamber, Ty Zamora of Alien Ant Farm, uh, Mike Sarkeesian of Spineshank, Amir de Rock Orgy, uh, Jared Montague of Taproot, Eric Rogers, Stereo Muds, Sean Glass of, I, I believe, Soil, um, Ross Robinson, obviously the 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 Matt, the, the the father of all new metal uh, producers, Ross yes. Robinson, Fallon Bowman of Kitty, oh, yeah. and so many more. What was some of the um, what what were some of kind of the consistent themes with all, everyone that you talked to? What was the one thing that kind of uh, kept you know like was there something common between everybody? Um, I think the, the one of the main things for a lot of the bands, um, obviously Rob Rivera from Nonpoint was in there as well, and he was one that talked probably. Um, more passionately than others and more in-depth was the sense of community that all the new metal bands and the musicians had between each other and the amount of time, especially, and Jared as well from Taproot, they all came back to Ozfest 2001, I believe it was, um, maybe 19, uh, maybe 99 actually, but when all the, all the big, you know, the new metal bands were all on, the, the Ozfest together mm-hmm. and they was just hanging out and having fun and partying and stuff. That was where they really did say, yeah, the, the sense of community. Um, and also probably the other part is about obviously the differences in the music industry then and now, um, the record deals, the, the, the money they was getting, um, and record sales, everything like that. So those were the two main things that were the, the common, um, discussion points, I guess that, um, they could all relate to. What was one story that, not to give away something too much in the book, but what's one story from the book that you went away going, wow, that's amazing. I can't, can't believe that you know that happened. I think, I don't know about in terms of 
in the, the things that happened. But I mean, I'm still amazed now that I was able to talk to Ross Robinson. That was the um, every every guest that was in the book, including yourself, obviously extremely appreciative of their time um, telling me the stories. But yeah, Ross Robinson, that was just one where one day I just thought, let's just send him a message on Facebook. I think I sent him one and I sent Fred Durst one. Um, nice. Neither of them obviously expected to get a reply. Um, back in those days, I was one of those where you'd always check your message to see if the other person's read it. And um, then just one day that my phone was bleeping like crazy from other people. And then I looked at it and there's Ross Robinson saying, sure, let's do it. And I was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I, so yeah. So I said to him, you know, let's just you know i'm in the uk time difference and all let's pick a time and he said i'm in la i have three hours spare let's do it now and um i like dude you gotta give me an hour to prepare because i did not see this coming so uh yeah an hour passed got a few questions ready um and talking to him i mean obviously the stories you've got from ross being in the studio being very um you know especially slipknot he was he threw things at them to get mm-hmm. extra anger and stuff out of them. Um, Jonathan Davis, you know, making him cry by making him revisit his childhood and stuff. But actually speaking to Ross, um, and obviously you, you've got a book on the way to you. Hopefully other people will, will read it. You get a sense that he's a very sensitive guy as well, um, especially speaking to him and some of the things he said. Um, that was that will be the, the the one thing, I guess, that I do keep sort of going back. And I've got a just as you open the book up in the first couple of pages, I've just got like an insert from Ross's um, interview and just simply his words, my involvement had nothing to do with the sound or structure. It had everything to do with the open heartedness, healing and revealing gift to the artist and each other. It wasn't to be liked outside of our realm. So that's a pretty great nucleus for a genre to come from. It's pretty amazing actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oh, yeah. that sums up, that sums up um, Ross Robinson, I guess. And, on everybody that within new metal. Yeah. I've heard him on a few interviews and it's, it's always funny to hear him speak because he's so soft spoken and you would think that he would be like this presence and you know, where he's throwing flower pots at people and he's, he's, you know, making people cry. He's punching people as they're singing. You know, you would think that he's like some overbearing presence, but he comes off so shy and soft spoken. He definitely. So, and again, probably the, again, another thing that really surprised me, he was of how, devastated he was when um he would be told for example obviously he'd done corn and then he'd done life is peachy and he said about how devastated he was to find out he wasn't chosen to do follow the leader and um, the same with limp biscuit he wasn't chosen to do significant other um stuff like that so yeah it's definitely speaking to him you definitely get the the real ross robinson i guess the the one thing I, I remember having Max Cavalera on the podcast and asking him about the process of making roots and uh, the whole throwing of flower pots and Max was like, yeah, Ross was kind of freaked out because we were the first band to throw the flower pot back. <laughs> I thought that was such a great line. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and obviously, in, in, with that interview as well, I even talked a little bit about Vanilla Ice because he worked with him on the yes, Hard he did. To Swallow album. And- uh, machine head there was a bit of angst there where something was said in the media i think which kind of um there was a bit of a fallout between him and rob flynn for a while but again in the book he's got nothing but nice words to say about rob so yeah there's um again like i say it's probably my favorite um feature in the book and then obviously jared from taproot as well 
that guy can talk. I mean, I think I ran up in terms of, as you know, you've had him on the yes. show. Uh, in terms of English money, I think I ran up a £260 phone bill for that uh, month because I think we was on the phone nearly two hours. Um, you know, um, and he's and the taproot feature that goes on for five or six pages because of that. So, um, yeah, everyone that's been involved in the book, um, I can't thank them enough. Yeah, I'm excited to get it in the mail. I know that you sent them out the other day. Um, I'll be doing a also. I got two on the way. I've got one for myself, and then one to give away on the show. We're going to figure out a cool, creative way to give that away, um, not just to any any regular old person, but you know, someone deserving. Um, but the one thing I can't wait is is it's kind of like what you were saying earlier about seeing your name in print. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. I've I've been interviewed. I've done this. I've done that. But have I been in a book? No. That's that's a whole nother level, man. And um, I just, I'm just very appreciative that you you know wanted me on in, you know in the book to talk about my time in new metal and um, obviously you know having you on to promote as soon as it comes out you know uh, or as soon as I get it I'll definitely be promoting it on the uh, socials and things like that. Where can people get the book? Is is it currently out? Is it available now? Um, I'm sending out physical copies at the moment. Um, like I said to you before we came on here, I've got the paperbacks right now. The the hardpack, and that's another thing new for this version. The the the, the first version last year was only available on paperback, but um, I've got some hardbacks coming as well. Which, to be in my well, in my uh, in my opinion, they look absolutely awesome. So they're going to be with me by the end of the week. The official release date, I thought I'd just put just in case the books weren't ready is the 15th of June, which is um, a week this Friday. The lulu.com bookstore is where it will be sold. Um, Again, it was a self-published book, um, but I'm really proud of how it turned out. And I've got to say my friend, Scott, who uh, we run the head for the barricade podcast. He's done awesome again with the cover, but yeah, the paperbacks will only be available on the uh, Lulu website purely because they charge quite a lot of money to, print the the uh, hardback so if anybody wants to get in touch with me on facebook um matt carper i think it's matt.carper1 um is my facebook address but yeah i have paperbacks uh hardbacks will be coming too so uh signed copies are available if anybody would like one from myself very cool let's talk about head for the barricade for just a minute um that's obviously your podcast I was also a guest on that. Make sure to go back in your archives, check that one out. Um, who, yeah. who are some of the guests you've had on there, and uh, you know maybe some of the episodes to steer people towards if they want to check out your show? Yeah, again, the, the show or the Head for the Barricade uh, as a brand, it's been running since January 2017, so we're slowly building our way up. Um, like you said, Joshua Toomey's on the show, so go and check that one out. Uh, the last show we had Sean Glass from Soil who um, was talking obviously more about his band Repentance that are uh, just coming out. Really cool thrash and groove metal band. Um, we've had some of the up-and-coming bands, like uh, like I said, my friends from Front Street, Keychain, uh, Joe Catella from Dead's been on twice. He's going to be on an upcoming show because I'm meeting up with the band in London next week, so I cannot wait to meet them in person. The next show drops this coming Friday, which has got Billy Gray from Fozzy, which I'm super excited about. And again, Josh, thanks for uh, helping sort that one out. So, yeah, it's going in the right direction. The website's getting good visits. We're putting um, fairly regular. We re- uh, Basically, I do all the writing on the website. and uh, We revisit classic new metal albums from time to time just to talk about, you know, 
basically an album review as if it had come out now, but those from the original era. We try not to focus on the the high-profile bands from the new metal era, such as Korn and Deftones, because everybody talks them to death, really. But, yeah, the podcast, we try and get a special guest on every show. We're getting some good ones, some potential big names coming up in the next few weeks as well. Um, If anybody wants to subscribe to that, it's on iTunes. Um, We're also on the SoundCloud page. And I think it's recently been uploaded to the TuneIn app or website. And uh, I think we're hoping to go on Spotify sometime. But head for the barricade.com if you want to check out the website. And we're going to have a few more interviews on there as well in the next couple of weeks. Well, very cool, Matt Carp. And you guys, once again, make sure to check out New Metal Resurgence. Uh, so many great interviews in there. And uh, also, my uh, yours truly is in there. So, And uh, man, Matt, thanks so much for having me in your book and taking the time tonight to come on the show. Yeah, thank you so much as well, Josh. And um, obviously, I'll be keeping listening to the Talk To Me podcast every week. Hey, Matt, let's uh, let's finish this out with the song. What song would you like to play? Uh, well, I've got the, the new Matt Resurgence book in front of me, so I'm just going to pick a random page and see what comes out. And we've gone with, who have we got? Mudvayne oh, around nice. here. So I think um, let's play my favorite song from them, actually, um, is Not Falling. So uh, I'd be cool to go with that one. All right, guys, here's Not Falling by Mudvayne. And uh, you guys make sure and check out New Metal Resurgence by our good friend Matt Carp.
Morgan Lander of Kitty on the line, and uh, so glad to have you on the podcast. Like I said before, I've got a lot to talk about, and uh, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is really cool. Very cool. First thing I want to get into before we get into music and you being Canadian, you can uh, uh, squash this argument that I'm having with with a Canadian. Um, I jokingly put on Facebook the other day that in Canada they call Canadian bacon ham and and I've been destroyed because I guess Canadian bacon in Canada is actually like a back bacon. It's not what we yeah. Americans call ham. And so we were going no. back and forth. So so tell me all about this uh, back bacon, Canadian bacon sandwich that I need to have. Back bacon is like elevated ham. <laughs> it's like ham, but it's beyond ham. It's actually really delicious. It's thick. like Because when I think of ham, I think of like sandwich slices of ham. And that's like thin and really processed and kind of gross or you know you can still have your like you know spiral ham or that kind of thing but it's not the same it's definitely it's a different cut of meat um and but it's cured the same way but and it has uh like uh cornmeal around the outside and then when you cook it it just gets really crispy and nice and then you put that on a sandwich and it tastes Amazing. <laughs> Actually, I got sent. There you a, go. I got sent a picture of a uh, of a back bacon sandwich, and now I need to go to Canada to try this. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! It's delicious. They should have known I was just being an idiot on the internet anyway, because it came after someone asking a a restaurant suggestion in Canada, and I put Tim Hortons. So obviously, <laughs> they should have known I was just being an idiot to begin with. Oh my God, yeah. Well, considering <laughs> literally there's a Tim Hortons like and on every block, like on every corner, at least uh, in, in London, Ontario, where I live, there's definitely a Tim Hortons on every block. So not hard to find one. Right. And that's, that, that's, that's about the extent of my Canadian knowledge is like, you know, hockey and Tim Hortons. So. Yes, well, that's all we have to offer. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Canada also has to offer Kitty, so there you go. Of course, of course. And here I am speaking to you. Ta-da. Ta-da. You know, it's funny, and and we'll talk about, you know, the latest thing you guys have out is, is the career-spanning DVD, Origins, mm-hmm. Evolutions. Um, I watched it last night, and there were so many moments in there that I was like, I could pinpoint to where I was in life because I'm, you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. about to be 39. So I'm a couple of years older than you. And I was kind of all in the, yep. you know, in the, in the scene or whatever, quote unquote, you know, at the same time. So I knew like where I was when you were doing stuff. And I was just like, Oh, I'm mm-hmm. so glad there were no cameras. <laughs> you know, there were no cameras rolling. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, oh man, it's, it was great to see the band at an early age, you know, how it came together and, and, and the, you know, how the first album was recorded and, you know, just, mm-hmm. just the innocence of it all. It was so, it was so fascinating to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, and for some reason, you know, like I never really thought that I ever really took that many pictures or like took that many videos, but, you know, in compiling all of this stuff going all the way back, it was actually uh, astonishing how much we really managed to, uh, you know, keep records on things, whether that be with, you know, our like camcorder, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, and then eventually when, you know, digital media came about, you know, cell phone, like videos and stuff like that, like it was, it was amazing. And, and for instance, the recording of the first album, that was something that we only had ever done, you know, for ourselves. We only, you know, the, the people in the band and uh, our one friend, 
uh, that was there sort of filming while we were recording. Like we were really the only people that, you know, shared copies of that. Mm -hmm. And we were the only ones that saw it. So that was a really cool thing. And I don't know. I mean, it's, there's, there's so much going on. There's so much to talk about. You know, it's, it's almost embarrassing looking at some of the earliest stuff because you can definitely tell like we're really naive, we're really young and we're just so, so excited to, to be doing this. And we literally had no idea what was to come uh, and um, you know, what kind of an impact we would have made. And we really hadn't, thought that far ahead and you can kind of see that it's like a fun summer project like we're doing our homework while you know someone is doing (laughs) a take in the other room kind of thing and like interviewing each other like we think we're famous and it's uh it's all very innocent but um yeah the the storm was was coming for sure what i loved about it was how it just shows you how every single band in high school is formed it's, hey, I know this girl. I think she owns a guitar. You know, like, well, maybe she can play bass. And, and you know, that's how every band in high school is formed. And, Absolutely. And that even carried over into while you guys were about to record your first music video about how, you know, you had just done a tour, but you still need to do another tour. And, and your bass player quits. And you're like, well, I know this one girl I saw at the mall one time. And I'm like sitting there thinking, I'm like, wow, this is a signed band that's already touring, you know, touring America, touring Canada. And they're still kind of getting band members by going, you know, one time I saw a girl at the mall and she's kind of scary. Maybe she plays, you know, and it, it was it was so yeah. fascinating to watch. Yeah, well, I mean... When you are in high school, the scope of the people that you know that you've met in your life is pretty slim. You know, it's like you are limited to the people that are in your class, the people that you maybe hang out with, with other friends from other schools. You know, if you uh, are lucky enough to have friends that go to other schools. And so for us, it was really like, okay, um, at this point in time, you know, we were getting ready to do the Brackish video and we actually hadn't done it yet. So things hadn't really gotten to the point where they exploded, you know, to the magnitude that everyone kind of knows Kitty at. This was like, we had done some tours in the summer. We toured with Skin Lab. We did some shows with Nile, uh, with Today is a Day, like some smaller kind of stuff. Um, and we were getting ready to do the video. And that was when Tanya, you know, had decided that she didn't, think that she could handle being mm-hmm. in this band, especially if things were going to be, you know, getting to the point that everyone was sort of uh, anticipating maybe. And so it was like, well, who do we know? Who do we know? <laughs> that's like a young person that, you know, plays an instrument. And like, like you said, you know, with the whole high school, this is how high school bands are formed. It's like, you know, sometimes, you know, you're looking for a bass player and, you know, I know this girl, she plays guitar or she has a guitar, <laughs> right. you know, um, and and that's kind of how things happened. So it was like, you know, Mercedes had a friend uh, who was Talina, and uh, she knew that she had, you know, uh, played guitar. And um, I think at that point in time, we had like two weeks to get her up to speed, and 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 we went and shot the video, and, and we did, you know, a lot of that stuff. Uh, a lot of the takes and stuff from earlier on, like close-ups and stuff, obviously, are like, you know, closed set or whatever. But we actually did a full show that night. That was part of uh, CMJ um, around that time. Uh, so we actually did a show. And I think Biohazard and like Orange 9mm were on the bill. And, yeah, we, we shot a lot of all the live stuff. Like that was, a, that was like our first real show with, with Talina there as well. So it was like, wow, this is all... 
it's all coming together real fast. <laughs> I wanted to go back to that Skin Lab tour. That's one band that I toured with back in the day, and Steve of Skin Lab is still one of my favorite people on the planet. I've uh, been on the show a couple of times, and when I, when I saw that you guys had toured together one of your first tours, I was thinking that that had to be a good tour for you guys because Steve being such a good guy and I'm, and those skin lab guys were good guys to have around. Um, you know, how do they treat you on the road? And, and, and I'm assuming that it, it had to have been positive. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like that was our very first touring experience. And we were just like, this is so cool. And I can guarantee, I mean, because we were super young, you know, like I said before, we we're probably super annoying. Um, <laughs> right. you know, like these grown ass men just being like, who are these like kids? Like just like, screaming and having a great time and just being out of control. That was us. Right. Um, but no, it was like our very first real touring experience and they kind of helped us to sort of, you know, figure out what it's like to be on the road. And they were very, very nice. And I mean, it was amazing that they, that they were, they asked us to come out on tour that we, we got tech to do that. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I have nothing but positive, uh, memories. Um, about that that period of time i think it was only a couple of weeks it might have been like two or three weeks uh and in between i think we did uh, milwaukee metal fest as well which was pretty cool so that was the summer of 1999 wow that that happened yeah just looking back on all that i mean just how did you feel that the fans took to you you know was there was there a, a mixture was it a mixed bag was it well it's it it's hard to say like in at that time in 1999, I mean, like we were not playing to, you know, larger crowds. We weren't even really being paired up with bands that I think made sense with our music. Um, and I always found that, especially like the first album, I mean, it does get sort of lumped into the new metal genre, but I think it has a lot, a, a lot of different elements to it that don't really kind of fit in there. You know, it's not really polished. It's kind of raw and nasty and dirty. And it kind of has like a lot of that, you know, that like Riot girl kind of like dirty kind of vibe to it as well. Um, you know, and so we were playing to like, I mean, like we played shows with Nile and it's like, oh my God, Nile, like that makes no sense with us. Like they're so brutal. And I mean, we liked Nile. Like I own a number of their albums. And at the time I had their first album, but like, you know, we were playing to like, you know, like elitist death metal guys that are just like, you know, arms crossed and that sort of thing. Um, and so I think it really toughened us up in a way. Uh, we always sort of had gone out uh, whenever we played with a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, only because a lot of the experiences initially that we had in our hometown playing uh, were, we had a lot of, you know, friends and fans that were our age, but we also had a lot of negative uh, press, a lot of backlash, a lot of people that, you know, were very, very aggressive towards us, very hateful towards us. And so that sort of set the tone for how we thought that everybody felt about us. So we would go out there every single night and we'd be like, you know what, we're going to fucking, we're just going to go fucking crazy. Like <laughs> we're going to do our very best and we're going to put on a good show and, you know, um, fuck you if you don't like us. We're, <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be nasty about it. Uh, going back, I did, I did want to go back to, to you recording with Garth Richardson. The one vibe that I got from pretty much everybody in the thing was he was a known name to everyone else, but to you guys, he wasn't he wasn't Garth Richardson. He was just a guy almost. You know, you guys knew what he had done, but he wasn't 
it maybe didn't set in what he had done, if that makes any sense. And and I correlate yeah, absolutely. And I correlate that because around that same time, I I had done some demos with Fred Corey from Cinderella. But you got to think that that's 1997 Fred Corey from Cinderella. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You're in a band. But now looking 20 years, you know, looking back 20 years ago, I'm like, oh, my God, that's, you know, uh, the Moscow Peace Festival, Fred Corey. And, you know, uh, you don't know what you got, Fred Corey. And and, and it, it didn't hit me at the time. And I think I, I understood what you guys felt, you know, at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th- I feel like that happened with us. Uh, a lot though. Um, and you know, only because like we were super, super young and I don't know, we just, I mean, we liked what we liked and we hadn't really had like, like, you know, when you are like in a scene for like 10, 20 years, you know, you get to know tons of different bands, tons of people, you know, if you're traveling, you know, you're, you're well seasoned and you, you're out there and you, you know, you're reading the news and you're seeing, you know, like headlines and you just know who people are. And it's like, when you're 15 years old, like how much <laughs> right. of the world do you really know? Right. Exactly. And so I felt like that happened a lot. Like, I mean, we were aware of who Garth Richardson was, but there was the, the magnitude of, you know, him and the legacy of like his father, of course, as well. Like those were things that we, we, that never really registered much like how, uh, I think one of the my favorite things that I, I even can think of uh, when we were first sort of starting out, starting out was uh, Rolling Stone uh, did an interview with us actually when we were on tour uh, with Skin Lab and the interviewer asked what we thought of who you know what we thought of Carson Daly uh, because at the time he was like the head of uh, or he was the host of TRL right. which I guess you know in in the US is like was one of the biggest shows for like popular music. And it's like, if you got on TRL, that was like a big deal. And he was like a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. he still is, but like this was back then, you know, MTV still kind of actually playing music and whatnot. And we, they asked what, what we thought about Carson Daly. And I think, I think we said, who the fuck is Carson <laughs> Daly? <laughs> because like, we really had no idea. We came, we come from Canada, like much music that, you know, our VJs are, different people that we sort of worship up in Canada and we don't really never really got MTV. And so we just never really got it. And I, I don't know, it's, it almost set the tone for the, the rest of our career as well, or at least for the first couple of years, like kind of like, you know, wow, like uh, this is, this is impressive. Like people really like us. People are buying our albums. People are coming to see us play. Like remember when we were playing in the basement, like a year ago, like this is really weird. Um, so yeah, it, it really has been a, a surreal experience and, and one that I don't think, uh, we had been able to grasp until we were old enough to sort of be able to look back and really reflect on the things that happened. The one thing, another part of the documentary, and I don't want to give too much away. I try to try to you know, steer some people to this because it was a fascinating watch. And even like where maybe I'd let, I had, maybe not known, you know, not known the history of Kitty for certain amounts of time. It makes you go, oh, wow, I can't believe they were doing that. You know, maybe I wasn't aware of what was going on at the time. So even if mm. you're even if you're not a huge Kitty fan, you know, I love documentaries, period. I'll watch a documentary on anything. I'll watch, you know, on one penguin's life. I'll, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll watch yeah. a documentary on anything. So, But it's it's a fascinating watch, especially if you love music. And the, the one thing that it was kind of a constant theme with 
member changes, it was never, it, it always kind of seemed like it kind of came back around to not being able to handle touring and fame and, and, you know, even the signing autographs part or yeah, there was always something. And like, you know, the more I think about it, you know, my daughter just turned 16. So it's like, Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at this documentary through a father's eyes. Like I, you know, I yeah. I, I look to your, your you know your dad, your late father David, and I'm like God. I mean, I could even imagine if my 16 year old came up to me and was just like I'm you know I'm starting a band and we're getting signed, we're going on tour with Slipknot. You know, I'm like I'd be like whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> let's let's talk about this for right? a second. Um, <laughs> but also I can imagine you know knowing how you know she's a teenage girl and I understand what she's going through. And I couldn't imagine if you just all of a sudden through fame and, and, you know, not necessarily fortune, but fame and, and, uh, you know, all, all the baggage that comes along with that, that had to have been tough on everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, um, I don't fault anyone for that at all. You know, I can, I can remember, you know, points in, in my life where I may have said like, Oh, well, you know, like it's not, it's definitely not for everyone and that sort of thing. But, but yeah, like to really think about, we were, we were teenage girls and like by the time, you know, we were 16 years old, like this, this was happening, you know, like 14 and 15, you know, when, when we started the band in, in 1996, that was sort of, you know, when it was still very innocent and we were having fun on the weekends. And then, you know, by the time we were 16 uh, and 17, I was the oldest uh, it was like, yeah, like this is really, really happening. And to think about the pressures of even just, you know, being a young, a young adult and sort of figuring out who you are and, you know, all the things that come with that. Uh, and it's like you, you know, you're working even just to make your peers like you, like, how does that feel when, you know, it's the world watching you? You know, and and there's you, you can be very very self conscious, and people uh, can be very very vicious. They can be very mean, um, and you know I don't I don't fault anyone for for not, you know, wanting to continue on with that because it's not it's not really all that fun or easy when it comes to the scrutiny of you know the media and journalists and fans, especially like you know, uh, in the early, you know, 2000s and like late nineties where, where like the, the birth of sort of the internet, like the rise of like the internet that we know today sort of came about where like message boards started to happen. And like, people would talk about bands and, you know, like, honestly, like rumors that, you know, have haunted us and followed us for our entire career were started on these like, like shitty night, late nineties message boards, you know, stuff like that. And just scathing things, um, and you know, yeah, I, I definitely looked at, at all of it. I looked at a lot of it and how, how I'm still here, like functioning a normal human being is beyond me. <laughs> I think I've had to do a lot of, a lot of, you know, uh, self, uh, care and a lot of, you know, self-reflection, I guess. Um, but it's, it's definitely not easy, you know, especially if you're, especially if you're young, how I made it, I have no idea. 
Yeah, you guys definitely kind of came along and maybe the first wave of internet bands, you know, first wave of people being able to reach out to you and and not as easy as today where it's like Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. But I mean, back then it was still, you could easily get an email address or, you know, post on a message board or, or even if you guys had like a, uh, a guest book on your website and, you know, like, like, (laughs) uh, those are classic. I found some screenshots of some old ones the other day, but, uh, Oh, I know it's the, great. Yeah, the uh, so I mean, you know, the fan, so the fans were able to reach you guys, and I actually heard in another interview, I think you were talking about people creating fake hotmail accounts and you know death threats to you guys and stuff. That it just had to be yeah. nuts. Yeah, no, like that's and that's all was all coming from like London, Ontario. That was all coming from people like locally, um, you know. And I just, I just don't understand, you know, how you can hate someone so much that you don't even really. No, you know, like a lot of our peers and a lot of, you know, musicians in London who maybe I guess thought that they were better than us or thought they deserved the things that we got and, you know, why we got them, they didn't know. And so there was a lot of animosity and uh, a lot of hatred. It was it was really, really horrible. It was really evil. It really sucked. But we got over it. You know, eventually, eventually, you know, you just have to stop caring and and i think if you can persevere redemption redemption will come and i certainly feel that way now you know 20 years on having been able to do this documentary and sort of reflect and 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 whatnot i think uh, i feel i feel redeemed i f- i was listening to the actually went and listened to the um the, the actual live uh, cd today and mm-hmm. hearing those early songs done how you do them today it was, it showed so much growth and it's, and it's, you know, the evolution, no, no pun intended or whatnot. Great word you guys use there, but it's to hear those early songs, you know, kind of a lot tighter and, you know, your voice has matured and, and everything around, you know, production value, everything has just kind of came together on that thing. And it's almost like a, like a greatest hits, like a redone greatest hits. Like if you went back and did some re-records or something, but, um, so, I mean, I, I you know, I kind of get where maybe some of those, some of those, you know, people in your scene are like, you know, you got to think about it. 25, 30 year old dudes that have been struggling in the clubs. Then all of a sudden this little kid band comes out of nowhere and gets signed. And the next thing you know, they're on Ozfest and opening for Slipknot. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some an- animosity there, but of course, of course. And, and, uh, but you know, they, they should definitely look and see where it went and, uh, give props to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, like, I, I can't lie. Like I have, you know, even recently I've been approached by people who said, you know, Hey, like I, back in the day, I talked a lot of shit about you guys and I had a lot of hateful things to say. And I apologize because I see how much you've grown and I see, you know, the band, you know, is still here and whatnot. And also, you know, like I have kids and like, you know, I, I can't imagine what you guys were going through, blah, 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 blah that type of thing. And so I think that's, uh, I don't know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, a really good feeling to, to find, you know, to finally, you know, to feel like, you know, we've had been pushing back and pushing back for so long, you know, not letting, you know, things get to us and, and, you know, trying to defy, uh, you know, norms and, you know, uh, like if you want to get into the, you know, you know, women in, in the industry and that sort of thing too. And then finally, you know, to have, this documentary come out and then sort of be told by people that, you know, uh, are, are, are respected in the, in the community 
uh, and also just like musicians and people that you didn't even really know, you know, hated you, but like, Hey, I said a lot of crappy shit and it's nice to see you guys are still around or, you know, to, to hear people say like, like that call you a legend or something like that. <laughs> That's such a weird thing to me. Right. But it's, uh, it has, it has happened. So it is, it's pretty weird. It is weird. It's definitely very weird. And, um, you know, you know, you have to kind of take a little bit of pride in, you know, bands like Hailstorm and Butcher Babies and um, who did I just have in my brain in this moment? Things like that. Like, you know, they're, they're, the women in metal right now is probably at an all time high. And I'm sure a lot Absolutely. of those girls grew up, you know, at least admiring what you guys did. You know, and I don't know if, if they've came up to you at some point and said, hey, thank you for doing what you did or anything like that. But, you know, you guys definitely, you know, blazed a trail through the heavier side of music to where, you know, the runaways and all the stuff, you know, coming up, um, you know, got you got got women in rock to where it is. And then you guys took it into, uh, you know, much heavier uh, vein. Yeah. Well, I mean, with uh, I mean, two out of the three bands that you've mentioned, we've actually toured with and played shows with. Uh, Hailstorm in particular, uh, I remember playing with them, oh my God, at like the Croc Rock in Allentown, Pennsylvania, when they were literally like 15 years old. And to see the band that they have become and, you know, the the hard work that they've put into their career, you know, uh, it's it's really fantastic to see. And I, I love seeing that. And I'm I'm glad that in some way, maybe, you know, we help to give them a little bit of their start. I mean, they're talented kids then. So it's like, I'm, it it was coming anyways, but, um, you know, it is, it's a little bit of a, you know, uh, a moment of pride, you know, and just in, in, you know, the whole, you know, maybe passing the torch or whatever. So I think that's really cool. And in this moment as well, that was a band that we toured with years ago, uh, like a couple of full tours with them actually. Uh, and they're amazing people and they've worked really, really hard to get to the level that they're at. And I think that's really, really cool. So, you know, nothing but, nothing but props. <laughs> you know, it's funny, you know, the, the celebrating Kitty 20 years of Kitty and you're only 36, right? 36. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think that there are bands out there now that are just now hitting and the members are 36, 37, 38, you know, there, there are bands out there that have waited their whole lives to have, you know, just one hit or one tour or one something. And, you know, you're now kind of like, here's 20 years of our band and, and we're already celebrating a 20th anniversary. That's yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I don't know, I guess, I guess we got lucky with that. Like I, I can't really complain. It's, it's a, it's, it's kind of a neat feeling, you know, to, to not feel like you're too over the hill to enjoy it, I guess. <laughs> um, the one thing I did want to talk to you about was, you know, doing this podcast for the last three years, uh, talking to a lot of, you know, the quote unquote, the, you know, the new metal era, um, you know, newer bands that are like, you know, like bands like Dead and um, Kane Hill and things like that. And um, even, you know, like I said, all of our, our contemporaries from back in the late 90s, early 2000s. The one thing that mm-hmm. I've noticed is anyone associated with that area era now is a little bit more revered. Are you feeling that too? Are you feeling a little bit of the nostalgia factor is kind of kicking in with that new metal era? Isn't that that weird that now it's cool and like 10 years ago, like, like it wasn't, it's just like, it's such a strange thing when, when, uh, you know, an era starts to become sort of a, a part of like nostalgia in and in a way that's, uh, looked upon fondly, but you, you always have to remember that, 
uh, the people that were the young people when that era of music was like popular, you know, when they grow up and then they look back on it, that's when, you know, that's when it's kind of like, and then their kids start to kind of get, you know, like into it, you know, because their parents have sort of passed that along and sort of like it, it, it changes things. Right. So it's like, you know, now like the eighties and the nineties are like, you know, fashions come back and, you know, uh, you know, classic rock is, is always going to be like something that everybody young and old always will be sort of getting into. And then sort of when, when your era sort of gets put into the past uh, and then sort of looked back at fondly by, you know, older people, it kind of, it kind of changes the way that, uh, cause for a really long time, it's like, you know, new metal, it got, it kind of got out of hand and then it became like the redheaded stepchild of metal and everyone was like, oh, you know, you like the fashions and all that stuff. But now people, people are like, like digging that. Like the Jinko's hashtag on Instagram is huge, <laughs> right. huge, you know? Oh, yeah. No, and I, uh, I definitely, so yeah, I definitely am feeling it. Like I, I think, I know there's like a number of, you know, like new metal type like podcasts mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of people like they just, they really are I don't know. They they think of it as as a fond a fond time and uh, and an awkward time sometimes in in their lives. And I'm glad that you know when we all grow up and can look back and say, you know what, that was actually really cool. And I know that the band evolved. We all make fashion mistakes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I watched the DVD. I saw you. I saw all of your fashion. Um, oh, all you know, of them. You know, I will I got say so many more. And and I will say, and, and I and I guess you know, I, a male band, you don't really ever look at it like this. You're like, oh, well, look at their fashion choices. You know, that's the one thing that female bands get more than than obviously the male counterparts. You know, but the one thing I noticed with the band is the way the band evolved almost simultaneously evolved with your with your personal fashion it was kind of funny it was like it was like the band would get darker and then you would get you know wear more black and then the band would get a little bit you know you a little bit more poppier than you know you were coming out with the blonde hair and this and the more poshness and i was like i was like it, it was it was fun to kind of kind of put two and two together as the band grew and, and your personal fashion grew yeah absolutely well i mean it's it's a strange thing when you actually are growing up in basically in front of like you know cameras in a way that like you know they you know the media and whatnot you know takes little snapshots of where you're at in your life and they just go on the internet to be archived for all of eternity you know and uh that's to me it's just like you know it's just growing up it's just personal growth you know everyone's style and taste always change and again, like I always have to remind myself as well as everyone else. It's like when we, when we came out, we were literally like kids still. We were like 15 and 16 years old. And it's like, you know, even in 10 years, like, can you remember, you know, you know, who you were and what you wore and the kind of person that you thought you were when you were 16 and then, and then, and then 26 and then 36, mm-hmm. you know, and like the growth that it took from 16 to 26 and all the different uh, evolutions that, your maybe philosophies and your styles and whatnot sort of went through. And then, you know, then the next 10 years from 26 to 36 and like all, all the whole time, you know, people are taking pictures of you. Mm -hmm. It's an odd, it's a really, really odd thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's a, it's just really like our, we grew up, uh, with, with our fans, I guess. 
And so, yeah, like, I mean, there is going to be a, a, a visual evolution there only because, like, we literally were growing up. Like, <laughs> right. like I probably got, like, two inches taller in the process, too, you know? So the um, It's funny you talked about that because, you know, we want our bands to stay when we got into them. You know, it's like people got mad at Metallica for cutting their hair, you know, but what yeah. do you expect them to look like? 1985 Metallica for their entire career, you know, it would, it would, it right. would, could you imagine if people expected you to, you know, still wear, uh, you know, 60 inch cuff jinkos and, and, uh, you yeah. know, and, uh, well, crazy hair. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, that's an interesting point as well, because like, I feel like a lot of times when people sort of equate a certain era or time period, like with the best times in their life, if that's like high school or whatever, you know, people get mad when things change because they want be able to hold on to that time period in their life and uh you know that you know fashion or that style of music sort of just represents you know like maybe the best part of their life or the best some of the best times in their life and they don't really want to have to acknowledge that people grow up and change and for me I always was like oh my god like why can't why can't people like you know, just accept that we, you know, our music has evolved or that, you know, we grew up. Um, because I always, I always felt that a lot of people, uh, held on to that as opposed to sort of, you know, just, uh, accepting the evolution. Um, and I mean, with that, obviously, you know, comes like, you know, waxing and waning of fans over the years and whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, for, for a lot of people, we just grew up with our fans together and they managed to sort of, uh, uh, our, uh, taste, I guess, in music and whatnot sort of were congruent. They, mm-hmm. they just sort of, uh, grew together. And so a lot of people that started off like liking us because we maybe had more, a more new metal thing sort of evolved into liking heavier metal. And we just so happened to kind of go in that direction as well. So I think, I think that's really cool, but, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of a lot of psychology behind that kind of stuff as well that we could talk about forever. Yeah, I was thinking about that today with a little bit of the uh, listening to the latest your latest album, and I was thinking if, if you were to put that out at, under another name, under any other name mm. other than Kitty, what would people think of it? Because I think people probably have oh, a, I often a, think that. <laughs> you know, a, a misconception of like, oh, Kitty was that band with the teenage girls and they did new metal. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the latest album, you're like, oh my god! Like this, this scream is uh, you know on par with some of the best screams you've ever heard, and you know this is really good metal. And and um, I, I just kind of wonder how people would would react to you guys if it was you know not called Kitty, just called you know something else. Yeah. Well, I often wonder that as well um, because I feel like uh, I don't know what it is. Like we've always had like a weird a weird stigma. Uh, attached to us, even from, you know, the get-go, uh, when we were at the height of our popularity, you know, we had a lot of really, really, you know, uh, great fans, but we also had a lot of people just saying horrible things about us and like, I didn't believe that we, you know, played our own instruments or wrote our own songs and like all this kind of stuff. And it kind of, that kind of, you know, uh, skepticism, I guess, stayed with us for the duration of our career. And even to the point where, you know, we evolved uh, into almost a completely different band musically. And I, I feel like as musicians, much more accomplished. 
than where we began. Um, and I've always been proud of the music that we sort of made, but people never really gave us a chance because of, I guess, the stigma attached to being Kitty from 2000 as opposed to Kitty from 2010 or 2008, you know, when we put some of our, our last albums out, you know, 2011, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think people just need to be more open-minded because um, if they were, then perhaps they they might, you know, hear a hear a new favorite song or a new favorite band. But I mean, you can't please everyone, and and that is, I guess, the other side of that coin. So um, you can only just kind of keep keep doing what you're doing and do it well. And if other people are like, "This is great," then cool. If not, then fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, the, the Origins uh, Evolutions DVD and the, you know, live CD that goes along with it. Um, obviously, a career retrospective, a little bit of the n- nostalgia factor. You know, you and I talked a little earlier about, uh, you know, new metal kind of being cool again. Um, would you be into one of those, you know, kind of nostalgia tours with like, you know, Kitty and Alien Ant Farm and Papa Roach or something like that? Would you be you know, into doing like one of those kind of package tours or is that, or is that too much oh, nostalgia? God. I don't know. Well, see, here's, here's the problem with that. So it's like, if you do that, like, do they only want you playing like stuff from the first album? I, I just think that we have more to offer than that. Right? right. So I find that to be a complicated decision. Um, I guess it would depend, uh, on a number of different factors. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to something like that, but I, I you know, I think it would, it would have to be, I don't know, like something something extra special. Like for instance, if like we did something like that and we did uh, shows akin to the show that we did for the 20th anniversary release mm-hmm. in October, where we had like you know a bunch of different lineups play the original lineup and you know Oracle lineup and you know current lineup that sort of thing. Um, uh, so that I think would be cool because then you could cover all the bases with with our music, you know, for us specifically. But I think it would be weird to just, you know, play stuff from the first album because you'd only really be there for thirty minutes. That's not a very long album, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, would you, you do a? Much uh, more than that. You know, I mean, obviously bands like Hatebreed and and you know they're all kind of celebrating these twenty years of their first album, playing the you know mm. albums in the entirety, and that seems like a very easy question. You know, would you ever want to go back and play Spit in its entirety? And I will, and I'll give it this caveat that when I heard those songs on the live album, I was like, wow, these sound really, really awesome. So I mean, I think the current lineup playing the first album in its entirety might actually give it a whole new lease on life. Oh, dude. Ab- no, absolutely. I mean, anytime we'd ever played any of the songs uh, live, um, you know, over the course of the last, you know, number of, of years and shows that we did, like it, it, it the songs have certainly evolved as well. Um, I will actually correct you, though, in saying that the songs on the live CD that come with Origins Evolutions are actually, uh, I guess, technically in chronological order. So, they go from the earliest and those are actually, those are of the era recordings. So those, those songs from the first album, the uh, Charlotte and spit and brackish are actually recorded in 2000. So that's really? uh, Fallon and Talina and Mercedes and I playing. And so the songs from the, the, the last, the show that we just did, I believe were like cutthroat. Um, 
and We Are the Lamb uh, and a few others. And there was also some uh, Funeral for Yesterday era stuff in there and also I think some stuff with uh, Jenna Royo playing as well. Um, so yeah, like, uh, the, the, the recordings are actually like of the era. Oh, wow. Uh, I thought except, that, except, yeah. Okay. I thought the origins evolutions live album was actually all from the uh, one show you guys did. No, actually no. Uh, but we are planning on actually releasing a video, uh, uh, at some point of the, of the actual concert. So everyone will get to experience that. But yeah, like, I don't know we thought with the, the live album, it might be a cool thing to actually do what we did with the documentary where we sort of go into our archives and uh, go in and, and uh, mix and master stuff that we had just kind of sitting around. Like we had, we recorded every single OzFest show that we were on uh, as well as pretty much every headline show that we did that year in 2000, you know, when things started to really get Mm -hmm. crazy. And so we had like hundreds and hundreds of tapes to go through for that. And um, we also did a lot of recording, you know, beyond that as well. So we had a lot to choose from. So we thought it would be cool to sort of give that the same vibe as, as the documentary and dig, dig deep to find um, stuff that was sort of representative of, of all eras uh, of the band. Well, I stand corrected. The band has been amazing since day one. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, <thank laughs> just kidding. You. Um, I did. I did want to kind of get into a couple of the members. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated with Jeff Phillips, just because I I, I, I wonder I wonder how he's lived being like I was in Kitty and just knowing being a dude and being like I don't think there was ever a dude in Kitty and you're like no seriously I was in Kitty like uh, and he came off very well on the DVD. I I would love to have a beer with that guy. Yeah, no, Jeff's a rad dude, and he played. He actually played that uh, Origins Evolution show with us in October, and um, he we had like a, a blast. It was really cool to get back up on stage with everyone and just like vibe out. And yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a it's a weird thing because like you know, Jeff was he was a tech before he toured with us all throughout the the Spit album cycle, so he was there the whole time. And then when Fallon left the band, it was kind of like, well, who knows the songs better? Like, we got to hurry this up. And at that point in time, it was sort of like, we wanted to prove that it wasn't about who's standing on stage because at that point it was like, everyone was just talking about, oh, they're girls and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like, that was the focus. And no one was talking about the music that we were making and, and whatnot. And so personally for me, I kind of thought it was like a, it, I mean, it was an intentional thing. It was like, who do we know that can play guitar? That's great. That knows all the songs. That's literally already been out on tour with us. Well, Jeff, he makes sense. And it's also a big fuck you to everyone who is like, oh, Kitty, all-girl band, you know, that's the only thing they're good for. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, <laughs> right. well, can't say that anymore. So, yeah. And, I mean, he, Jeff has always been a part of the Kitty family. Uh, he came out with us um, in 2007 as well and played bass. Uh, on a tour too. And that was a lot of fun. You know, he's always just sort of been, you know, been there for us and, you know, we love him and he's, he's a great friend, you know, he's a good dude. So, um, the one person in the, in the DVD, I was like, I know this person from somewhere and I can't place where it is. And that was uh, Jennifer Arroyo. Um, and then I, and then when I clicked on her name on the Wikipedia, it kicked me over to the stuff about big brother and my wife, watches big brother like it's going on a style so i know i've been in the room and like watched her on big brother and then it like then it, yeah. cl- it kind of came together that uh i was like oh she was in kitty okay now it all makes sense but man what a monster bass player 
Yeah, no, she's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, Jen was actually someone that we met uh, years and years before, uh, a couple of years before she joined the band. Um, and she actually was in a band called Spine uh, out of Washington, D.C. Um, and we played on Farm Club, if you remember that show. <laughs> Primer, Primer uh, 55 was on Farm Club, too. I, not yeah, me, not me, but yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, like it was like one of those things where, you know, it was like the hot, it was a hot show for a while. And like they had like a lot of different, um, I guess, I guess, uh, like sizes of bands. Like they mm-hmm. would have a, like a more local band or like a buzz band and then like a big band. And uh, we actually played uh, and met her on the filming of that show. And we were like, wow, this girl's really good. And like, we were just friends. It was cool. Like all of the people in the band were awesome. And there's actually a photo of Jen and Fallon talking, I think somewhere uh, at OzFest. So it was like, you know, we would just, we like put them on the guest list and hung out and all that stuff. And uh, when Talina left the band, it was like, well, who do we know that is like amazing? And that's like super motivated, super down to just like whatever. And we contacted Jen and, and the rest is history there with that. Like she's super talented and um, yeah, like she was in the band for a number of years and we had a, a blast and she really, she brought um, a, new, a new element to the band, mm. I think. Um, and with with every you know i don't want to say with every lineup change but yeah yeah like i mean like yeah there's been a lot of people in this band i can admit it um and it's it hasn't always been easy but it it always proves to be a learning experience and uh allows you know the band to grow i think and for me you know as a musician to be able to have the privilege to play with so many great musicians over my career i'm just talking about myself personally mm-hmm. you know it it only made me a better uh, a more diverse player and just kind of, I guess, more easygoing when it comes to that sort of thing. You know, when you're playing with all kinds of different styles, it it sort of helps you to, I guess, develop your own style, but also to just be easygoing with, with what other people want to do too. So it's been nothing but beneficial, I think. And yeah, like there's so many great people have, have played in the band. And the one that, um, I think added a lot to the band and, uh, you know, maybe someone you should have had from the beginning was, was Tara McLeod. I think she's watching what she did with the band and kind of adding so much guitar work to the band and just being, you know, another monster player too. Um, you know, how, how, how has she affected your, you know, writing and how has she affected Kitty overall? Oh dude, Tara's like, she's like, she's it, man. Like she, like, you know, she, we met, uh, in 2000, was it 2005 or something like that? Like, Oh my God, like it's been so long. Um, yeah, Tara is one of my best friends still to this day. Uh, an amazing, amazing talent. She is like a diverse player, but she, you know, she's, she did bring so much to the table. Um, and I think, I don't know. I'll just, you know, I'll say it like, yeah, like I, I honestly credit her with, you know, helping to elevate the band to, to absolutely new heights that we couldn't have uh, even accomplished without her. Um, you know, super, super talented, a great writer, you know, she and uh, I and Mercedes like wrote all those songs for uh, in the black and I fail you all together. And she just really added a lot of, uh, I guess 
a lot of diversity and, and layering, I mm-hmm. think, as well. So, yeah, like, I mean, she's she's an awesome girl, and uh, she's she's out there doing it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And then, uh, obviously, we got to hit on Trish. Uh, Trish Doan, yeah. um, you know, what, what does she mean to you, and then what does she mean to the band? Well, Trish was my absolute best friend. Um, we you know, got to know each other around the same time that uh, Tara and I met as well. You know, she was uh, part of the band um, sort of in that transition period and in the Funeral for Yesterday album cycle. Um, But we, you know, uh, kept in touch uh, after she left the band. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like, especially with with Tara and Trish in that era, like, like things were different because you know, these were girls that were from here, you know, it's like you could go down the street and go and visit them, you know? And so I feel like our relationship became more than just, you know, being in a band together. It was like, we were actually friends. Like, you know, Trish would come over and like drink on the weekends with me and, you know, we would all go out and meet for dinner. And, um, so yeah, like, I mean, she really was my best friend and, um, you know, she meant a, a lot to the band and I really wish that, you know, she was here to have been a part of, uh, you know, seeing the fruition of this documentary because she was involved a lot in it. Like this project goes back a number of years, you know, the Indiegogo campaign, she spearheaded that, like she did all of the, you know, photography and she did the Indiegogo video, like she shot all that with all her gear and stuff. And, you know, so she was a really big part of making this all happen and, um, you know, we were talking a lot about, you know, the cover in the beginning and what to do about that. And she was maybe going to, you know, do some of the artwork and things like that. And uh, so, I mean, she was really heavily involved and uh, I'm I'm just really sad that she didn't get to see it. But and more, more importantly, I'm just, I don't know, I just really miss her a lot. Like as a person, she was really, really funny, really fun, uh, like super tech savvy, just um, yeah, the world the world lost a, a really great person. One thing you were talking about, you know, you guys would be not on tour, but at home and like hanging out at home. And, and a lot of people out there don't understand that bands don't do that. Bands don't hang out, you know, at home. Like a lot of times they don't even live in the same states or the same, you know, I guess yeah. Providence or province or whatever it is up there in Canada. But I'm just saying like they're spread out and they don't hang out. And it's, it is very rare when you do find a band that off the road still wants to hang out and do stuff together. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, think about it. It's like when you are when you spend twenty four seven together, and then you know, do you really want to see those people like again for a while? You know, and I mean, with uh, with other lineups as well. You know, obviously discounting the first lineup of of Kitty because those girls are from London as well. You know, it, it sort of ended up that a lot of these people are not from London. You know, and so it's like when tour's over, everybody goes back to their respective normal lives, and it's like. Well, you know, with, with Tara and with Trish, it was different because it was like, you know, we, we jammed and, and, you know, tour would be over and then it would be like, Oh, come over on the weekends and come hang out and we'll go see a movie or, you know what I mean? So it was like, it was a, it was a different experience uh, entirely. And so I think that's why, um, I don't know. We had, we had a really good chemistry. Mm. Um, I see we're coming up on an hour, so I'll wrap it up with a couple of last questions, but, uh, 
Sure. You know, how did it feel to kind of get in a room again with with Fallon and Talina and and you know even uh, you know Jennifer and Jeff, just all those people just in a room together? I mean, how did how was the vibe? Um, well, with the documentary 20th anniversary release, like show that was, uh, I mean, there, there was a lot leading up to it. So, I mean, it's not like we just like weren't in touch or whatever and, and not also not in touch over the years, you know, um, uh, for instance, like, uh, you know, like Fallon and I, you know, we, we've hung out over the years, Tanya and I are still good friends and her and uh, Tanya are also very good friends as well, so you know, we would we would hang out now and then, um, and it was never really awkward. Maybe in the very very early days, it, it might have been, but you know, it's like we we've all sort of you know come to terms with the things that have happened, and uh, everyone was really really excited. You know, when I proposed this idea um, a number of months before uh, the actual date, you know, everybody was like super on board, and uh, organizing it was pretty stressful, but. Uh, I was really happy when everybody showed up and it was just like, wow, you know, and we did sound check and like, it was just an, a really cool thing to sort of feel those things that, you know, you used to have that are still there. You know, when you get up on stage and like we played, uh, you know, a, a bunch of songs with like Fallon and Tanya, the original lineup. And it was just like, it, like it was so much fun. It was like it, it that, the idea of chemistry and the idea of what makes a band kind of have something is real. And when you can get back up on stage after like almost 20 years and, and still like have that, I think it really says a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, the same with, uh, with Jen and Jeff. Um, but again, it's like when, when you've been a part of all of these different sort of incarnations, it's an interesting feeling to be able to experience the differences as well and and kind of feel like because there is a different vibe with with Jen and Jeff playing um and then again with uh Tara and Ivy as well and uh, some of the other girls uh and Jeff also said it was really neat to be able to wa- oh, like watch the band from this you know, from that, the crowd yeah 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 to watch the band from the crowd and it's like well that's a band that I was a part of and I know I know these songs but to be able to stand out and watch uh, was a really cool feeling as well one unfortunately that I uh, will never get to experience but <laughs> it sounded like it was pretty cool so uh you get to watch all, it like on that, DVD was, yeah exactly um but yeah it was a it was a real success and and the, the you know chemistry is real man it's a real thing and uh, everybody was really, really, really stoked about it. Actually, we were kind of like, oh, let's do this again next weekend. That was so <laughs> much fun. Like, honestly, it was, you know, when it, it all pulled off and the concert sounded amazing and everybody was super happy and energetic. I, like, everybody was like, you know, let's let's do this again. This was, this was one of the highlights of, of my life, actually, you know, to, to pull that off and and have that experience it was it was a really nice feeling you know cathartic uh and just positive overall now you did say earlier and i think i've heard heard it on another interview where you were talking about wanting to maybe do this uh, not necessarily um, i don't know if it obviously couldn't be a tour i think that would be and you know logistically be insane but you know try to maybe do this and would you try to do it in other cities would you try to do um you know, get as many of the of, of the former band together and do like a New York, LA kind of show. Like, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, like, I think uh, it it could definitely be a possibility. I think um, it it would be difficult because there's a lot of people 
obviously, and everyone's sort of all in all different parts of the country and whatnot and have a lot of different things going on in their lives. But I, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Uh, I mean, at one point, everybody, you know, right after the, that show, everybody was like, yeah, I'm down, let's do it, you know, like, let's do 10 shows, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, sometimes, like, working that kind of stuff out uh, is, like you said, a little bit of a logistical nightmare. But I do think that it's within the realm of possibility that, you know, some of those shows could happen. So I guess we'll see uh, see what happens. You could almost do it, and I know Gene Simmons is probably a, a bad word, <laughs> but uh, but you could do it like Gene Simmons' vault experience, where he would uh, in Atlanta he would have uh, Vinnie Vincent come up, and he would have you know he would play in uh, Las Vegas, and Paul Stanley would come up. Like you could do a kitty experience where you know maybe uh, Fallon shows up at one show, and and Jeff shows up at another, and you know it could be like yeah. <laughs> one of those kind of things too. Totally, yeah. No, that's that's definitely cool, and and uh, yeah, it's definitely something I think. I think that could could work. So we'll see. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Morgan, for your time tonight. And uh, to end this off, let's end off with a song off of the uh, Origins Evolution live CD. Which uh, what song would you like to pick? Oh, I don't know. Should, what do you think? Should we go old? Should we go new? What's good? What do you What do you like? You pick. See, I'm a nostalgic person, so I'm going to go something off of the first album. So just, uh, just. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do Charlotte. All right, I'm down. <laughs> well, there we go. All right. Just doing a video for this next song. Hopefully, we'll be seeing it soon.
Thank you so much to Morgan Lander of Kitty for coming on the podcast. Man, that was a lot of fun. Great person, and I wish nothing but the best for them. I remember meeting them when I was, uh, I think I was like 19. She was probably like 16, 17, or somewhere in there. Like We were all very young. It's very, very young, very long time ago, and uh, good to have her on the podcast. Also, huge thank you to Matt Carp for coming on. Make sure you guys are checking him out on Facebook. Get the book, New Metal Resurgence. I will have a... Uh, I will have an autographed copy by myself and Matt to give away soon. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do it. I might do like a Facebook Live type deal. Not exactly sure what I'm going to do, but once I get that in the mail, I will I will break it down and give it out to you and let you know how you can get it. Thank you to Scott Bowling for sponsoring the episode. Make sure you're checking out Good Company with Bowling. Make sure you're checking me interviewing Head live on stage in Nashville at the Nashville Rock and Pot Expo, August 25th. Nashville, Tennessee. I hope to see you all there. I know I will be seeing our good friend Mike G, former co-host of the Talk To Me podcast. Make sure and check out his new website, mdgrockphotography.com and check it out, man. He's doing a lot of great stuff over there. Always has great photos. And uh, if if the one thing the man can do is take a photo. So make sure and check out our good friend Mike G at mdgrockphotography.com. So until next week, I've been Joshua Toomey. This has been the Talk To Me podcast. And I will talk to you soon.